not telling you a shallow need. They aren't really telling you what the real problem is. Most people won't come right up and tell you what the real problem is. They'll start off by telling you that their dog was sick that morning. And consequently, they had a real problem with that. And then their little boy dropped a glass on the floor this morning. And you say, mm-hmm, yeah, mm, well, praise the Lord. Go ahead. And before long, they'll, they'll begin to tell you what the real problem of my son is in deep need or else I have a deep problem. My husband and I are having a real problem. And they'll get, but some people, if they came up and said my dog was sick this morning, they'd pull out three verses and bang them three times and shut them off right there. And that is not ministering to someone else. There's some people who've got a scripture verse for every problem in the world. I mean, just bang, 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 and that's it. No sense of knowing and understanding and encouraging one another in the things of the Lord. I mean, I know there's some people that there is no experience they haven't had, or if they haven't had it, they've heard about it, and they know how to take care of it. But let me tell you, when you begin to minister and counsel to other people, there are a lot of things that you won't understand, and there'll be, have to be times when you'll say, I don't know the answer to this, but I will pray with you this week and ask God to give us the answer to this thing. But you know, we'll never know the deeper needs and problems of people if we aren't willing to listen to them. You hear me? And by the way, if you don't listen to them, they'll go somewhere else. If you want to know why bars are filled up on weekends, it's because most bartenders will listen to people. Sympathetically. Graciously. That's why some dear brother wrote a book, A, a Drink at Joel's Place. Jess Moody said that's the reason why so many people leave the church and go to the bar because the bartender will listen to him sympathetically. Not only sympathetically, he'll say, here, have a drink on the house. Bless your heart. I understand. And you know something else? He doesn't go out and tell anybody what he heard. Third, he doesn't condemn them. Some people, they'd get in a small group like that and someone begin to open their heart up. If they aren't careful, they'll go, oh, you did that? How much more do you think that person is going to tell? You see? I was told that three preachers got together one time for a meeting together. They wanted to try to build each other up. And they said the first thing we need to do is confess our, our secret sin. And one says, well, this is kind of hard to do. But he says, if that's what it's going to have to do to really have fellowship, he says, I, I guess I better. I, I've been having trouble with drinking for these past five years. I just... I keep nipping at the bottle. I've got it hidden down in my basement, and I just can't get away from it. second one says, well, my problem is I, I've been just storing away in the basement all these dirty magazines, and that, that's my secret sin. And I, I, it's really been a bad thing. And the third one says, well, he says, I hate to say it, but my, my secret sin is gossip. <laughs> you see? We've got to be so very careful. When we're ministering one to another, what are, that, that we don't cause another part of the body to be injured because we don't know how to listen to the needs. I think the best illustration I can tell of that is if how many of you have ever heard couples come together, married couples come together, and every time one of them starts to say something, the other one finishes it for them. Hmm? How many of you have heard that? Yeah. Yeah. You see, that's what I'm talking about. Someone starts to say something, the other will finish the sentence. I can remember when I was younger, people used to say, hey, you took that out of my mouth and that's unsanitary. Leave it there. I, I know how to talk. Let me finish, will you? You know, 
But how many times we do? We don't know how to listen. And, and you know, I, it, I try to make a little bit of humor in this, but it's so important to realize that God gave us two eyes and two ears and only one mouth for a reason. We should look and listen twice as much as we talk. And if we do, we'll be able to minister more effectively for the glory of God. Now learn at home not to interrupt one another. There have been some cases where I've actually... Now, now this sounds terrible, but I was counseling with a family one time, and the, the wife was sitting here, and the husband was sitting here, and I was trying to get the husband to talk. I know why he couldn't talk. Every time he'd open his mouth, it was like a switch for hers. And I'd turn to him and say, what about this? And he'd say, well, kind of slow. He didn't talk fast. He'd say, well, she'd tear loose. I'd say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me talk to him just a second. Go ahead. Well, it was him hitting me in the ear again. Finally, this went on about four times. But finally, I turned around and I said, look, please, please be quiet. I did. Don't say another word. Be quiet. Please. Now, really, I, I want to hear. I think he knows how to make a whole sentence, but I haven't found out yet. I said that to her. I had to. And would you believe I turned around and asked him again? He got half the sentence out. She started again. Now, who would go out of that house wondering why there was a problem in that house, you see? Learn to... How many of you ever done that, huh? And then when it's all through, when they're all unloaded, and they just... Huh, you know, sometimes you don't have to say a word. If they can just tell you what happened, they feel better. So many times they just need a sounding word. So many times I've counseled with people when they got all through. They said, you know something, I really feel better because they found the solution themselves in just saying it. What do you think is the answer, I say to them? Well, I think that probably this. I said, you know something, I think, I think you're right. And you know, they go away thinking, boy, that Pastor Webb, he sure knows how to counsel. I didn't tell them a thing. I just listened. And we need to learn to listen. Now, you know one of the best places to learn to listen? At home. Do you know where I have a problem listening? With my children. I am sitting, of course, <laughs> see, I have two problems. Number one, when I'm reading, when I do something, I do it completely. If I'm reading a newspaper, I'm reading that newspaper. If I'm watching television, I'm watching, a, uh, especially the news. I don't know why it is, but young people have everything to tell you between the hours of six and seven. They'll come out and just, tch, 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 and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I want to hear the rest of this story on news. I have trouble with that. But begin to listen to one another. It's important. It's really important. Well, I'm going to have to quit whether I want to. I'm not finished, but I'm going to have to quit again. We've got some more steps to cover. You see why this is important if we're going to have interpersonal relationships? If we're going to flow in the thing that God wants us to do, it's so very important for us to do these things. Next week, I'm not going to review. We're going to go right on through the rest of it as much as we possibly can. I had to today. We had a whole month break. Didn't How many of you would have remembered otherwise? Next week, I know what I'm going to preach on. Okay. <laughs> Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you, you cause us to have a hunger and a desire to please you. 
And I know it's not easy sometimes for us to put the flesh in its proper place, but I ask that you will bring, first of all, healing in the individual lives. Lord, I sense more and more every day that we just need to draw a circle around ourselves on the floor, get in that circle, and say, Lord, start the revival right here. Bring my heart into a relationship that, with you that ought to be there. In the name of Jesus, cause me to be what you want me to be as a husband, as a wife, as a father, a mother, as a child, as a young person, as a businessman, as one who works, is employed outside, that in everything I do and say, Jesus will be first, that everything, every desire of my heart will be nailed to the cross, that I might die with Jesus Christ on that cross, be buried with him in baptism, but rise up to walk in newness of life, a different person, where it's Christ living in me. No longer I, but Christ living in me. And causing His purpose to be completed and fulfilled in my life. Lord, it's so important for us to know how to fellowship one with another. Heal our homes. Heal our homes, Father, at any cost. In the name of Jesus, I ask that you'll just put a wall of fire around every home that's represented this morning that the angel of the Lord will encamp around about them and that we will fear you as we ought to. And you'll cover them with the blood of Jesus Christ. And now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we bind the forces of darkness that bring in division and argument and bickering and fighting. Lord, I know that there's nothing more important, nothing more important in the world than that our homes be what they ought to be. In the name of Jesus, make it so, so that when we go out as a husband or wife in fellowship groups and minister that we'll be able to pray as one and see the mountains go into the sea and the valleys lifted up and men and women set free and souls won to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this fellowship and cause us tonight, Lord, to sense your presence even as we watch this film and as these young people give a testimony and sing tonight and present this ministry that our hearts will be challenged to and see that God is able to work in each one of our lives if we'll only let him do so. Have your way in our lives for Christ's sake. We ask it in his name. And all of God's people said, Amen. You are before us. You ever seen a hundred yard dash, Christian? Huh? Glory to God. I haven't got time to go to school. I haven't got time to study. I haven't got time to pray. I just got to get out and win the world. Get out of the way, you backsliders. Don't run so slow. Let me buy you. And down the road they go. I want to tell you something. There was a time in my experience in my ministry when I was a 100-yard dash Christian. <laughs> Almost laugh about it. I can still remember 1957 when I knew there'd never be a 1970. Why, Jesus is going to come, the world is going to be judged, and the, you know, everything's going to happen, glory to God. I haven't got time for anything. Just get out of the way. When you're running that kind of a race, let me assure you, it's an individualistic type of a race in ministry. Get out of the way. I've got to do everything I can do for God. Now, if you're going to run a 20-mile race, it's a little bit, run a little bit differently. You keep hearing football games, and then the football games, they say, this guy can run the mile in so many seconds. But you never hear about people running 20 miles the same pace they'd run 100 yards. You begin to pace yourself. It was so interesting to watch these cross-country races, how they just 
take off and just pace themselves so loose and so limber, and they'd be very courteous and considerate of one another. You know, in a 100-yard dash, you have to look out every man for himself, and down the line they'd go. But in a 100-yard dash, one would slow down and let the other get a little ahead of him, and he'd move over a little bit, and they just took their, they just paced along, and they made it. You know what I'm finding out a lot of times? I see these 100-yard dash Christians go flying by me, and they think, oh, Jesus is coming. Get out of my way. I've got to get my work done. What are you doing standing back there, you backslidden condition like that? And they go on, and pretty soon I walk along, and here they sit. I say, what's the matter? They say, got any water? Yeah, I've got water. Didn't you bring any? Didn't have time. Got any food? Yeah, have, have a little food along with Man, I've got to get going again, because I've got my, down the road to the gate. I'll go again, see? I come along a little, about three or four months later, here they are sitting again. <laughs> you got any foot pads? <laughs> See what I'm saying? Just up here all the time. And if they aren't on the mountaintop, they're just in total defeat. And Hebrews says that if we're going to function as a body, we've got to begin to pace ourselves and run patiently the race that's set before us. So many times we think, listen, we've got to get the ministry done because tomorrow we're going to die or Jesus is going to come and we don't die and he doesn't come. And we have to keep on. Now, I'm not criticizing them. I'm simply saying that when we begin to look at the ministry God's giving us within the body, it's not going to be this hallelujah, glory to God, 20 bumper stickers, three Bibles, and 45 tracks sticking out of our pockets idea. It's going to be where we begin to relate to one another, and when the world sees us, they're going to know that we've got something that they want. That's why the Word says... Be ready to give an answer. Somebody's already said something to you. Be ready to give an answer to them that asks you a reason for the hope that lieth within you. They must see something and make them ask that. I'm not criticizing evangelism. You know I've been an evangelist for years in evangelistic meetings. And I believe that there needs to be that harvesting of souls. But I'm talking about in our interpersonal relationships. Read Acts 2. What did it say? It said they gathered together daily, feeding on the word and doctrine and prayers and breaking of bread and fellowshipping, and the church members added to the church daily as such should be saved. Is that what it says? Well, the Lord added daily. How? Oh, men come under, came under conviction because they saw the love of Christ. They saw a, a, a unique society, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And they got hungry for the things that God was offering and they said, whatever you've got, that's what I want. 